Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hilary Milnes, and with me this week is Elaine Kwan, the founder of her e-commerce management and SaaS firm, Quantified. Thanks for coming in, Elaine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So can you tell us about your decision to launch Quantified, what you were doing at the time, and, and where you kind of saw this opportunity uh, that, that e-commerce brands and fashion brands needed something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that we, my co-founder and I, Jordan Taylor, really saw the opportunity when, back when I was at Amazon, and specifically working with the Amazon fashion team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during my time there, I did a couple things, but I would say I spent the majority of my time within the buying vertical at Amazon. Um, and within that role, spending a ton of time um, working directly with brands across uh, a couple different categories, but mostly within the luxury division Mm -hmm. and helping them find success on the platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, for every brand, success means something a little different, but ultimately a lot of it is sales growth and how you can do that sustainably on Amazon. And so during that process, one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was how as quickly as Amazon and the e-commerce landscape was moving, a lot of these fashion brands were getting sort of left behind and it wasn't for lack of trying but there wasn't a lot of education Mm -hmm. that was helping brands keep up with a lot of what's what was going on and especially when it came to amazon as you can imagine with how Mm -hmm. many consumers are on the platform every day it's that um, gap gets compounded Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So again, after seeing that opportunity, we decided, okay, this is a problem today, but how do we turn this into a way to actually bridge the gap? Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say it wasn't for lack of trying, because I feel like a lot of times fashion brands, especially luxury brands, people had this idea that they were, they kind of turned up their nose at e-commerce and, and kind of said, what? Like, we don't need to, to even dabble in that. So if it's more about a lack of education, where did, where did that come from? Why wasn't there the education at these brands that other uh, brands and other industries had? I think it's actually a combination of a few different factors, but I would say first and foremost, there were so many changes happening. There still are so many changes happening, uh, but they weren't being consolidated into this nice sort of, uh, you know, digestible packet of information. There were a lot of changes constantly dynamically happening um, across the board, especially when it came to Amazon. And it was a bit of the wild, wild west, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of soft lines brands. And so I think for a long time, there was this idea that uh, certain brands didn't need to participate in right. the internet, right? That right. they were, um, that their experience that they had built their business on was untouchable, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that one of the things that more and more brands, if not everyone has sort of realized is that you can't ignore the internet, but there are still new and great ways to use it so that you're not losing that experience that is so pivotal for your brand. Absolutely. And so when you're uh, working with brands today, is is that still one of the big questions that that's on their mind is, do we put all of our resources and our money and attention into our own e-commerce channels? 
or do we work with Amazon or the like? That's a great question. I would say that it depends. Um, every brand is a little different. They mm-hmm. kind of walk in the door, uh, typically at a you know a different step within that journey. Whether it's they're still asking themselves, do I even want to be on the internet? Like, what does that mean? And like, what does it mean to have a digital strategy? Still, still today. Yeah, some, some. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but the, I think you know, comparing today versus even twelve months ago, I would say more brands are actually further along in the process, which is now they're asking themselves um, what kinds of for example what kinds of shipping services should we offer on our own site versus when we utilize a different platform and Mm -hmm. if we're on a different platform should we be their wholesale or direct to consumer and like those are more the conversations I'm hearing now which is great and so um, I think kind of getting back to your earlier question I think that it really depends on where they're starting from but ultimately one of the things that we're seeing as a trend is it's not enough to be pure play brick and mortar and we all know that now but it's also not enough to put all of your eggs in e-commerce either Mm -hmm. and i think that's where a lot of uh, brands question like hey so this e-commerce thing does that mean that all of a sudden i should be expecting and putting 80 percent of my resources into this instead And it's like no 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 that's not what we're advising either however just like how brick and mortar pure play is sort of outdated today pure play e-commerce tomorrow will be seen as the outdated business model. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so kind of the next step of where we see brands really thriving, especially within the fashion and beauty space are the ones that are adopting what we call new retail values, which Mm -hmm. was actually coined by Jack Ma in his shareholder letter last year and, and sort of has been reiterated quite a bit since then. Right. And, and I think that's that's really interesting, this idea that that pure play isn't isn't the business model that's going to take over. But I think the, the latest news is that uh, like for the first time in a while, luxury, the count of luxury brand stores is going to decline. And I think the hardest thing for these brands is that just they're losing foot traffic in their stores, but their online traffic isn't really making up for it. Is that the Amazon effect? <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think it's Amazon directly affecting Mm -hmm. uh, that. I think that there is, there are a lot of new players that are coming into the fore, which are changing the way I think consumers are even evaluating their options. And and what we've noticed, we kind of, we call it the the return of artisan brands online. Mm -hmm. You know, you're getting a lot of brands that are very focused on a very small particular, either a small selection of product or a niche product. And they're making sure that they're controlling every aspect of the customer service to be as convenient as possible. I mean, one one that comes into mind is, uh, you know, Girlfriend Collective. All they make are, you know, uh, like, what is it, leggings and uh, intimate wear out of recycled plastic bottles. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, for months, they just gave it away for free, basically, uh-huh. to customers just to get the convenience factor up for them so they would be uh, open to trying it and getting the engagement level up. And I think it's tactics like that that are uh, definitely disrupting the space. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting you bring up brands like that, the very niche brands uh, that, that have this entryway to customers because of e-commerce. Because... We, and we've had people like that on our show who, who are founders of these of these smaller brands. And how do they even how are they competing when how, how are they affording this? Because we always talk about how customers are expecting free shipping and next day shipping. And that's definitely thanks in part to Amazon. And so if you are a tiny brand and you want to go out and do it, you know, grounds up on the on direct uh, to consumer, 
how do you even pull that off? Is that something that you're, you're dealing with? Um, so I would say that a lot of them have funding of some kind. And um, what we're seeing is in order to really focus on the customer, that means you kind of have to eat a lot of the costs, right. especially in the beginning. And I, even to in a large extent, that's, that was Amazon's strategy for a long right. I mean, still is, right? They're so focused on increasing consumer trust and that engagement because they know that as long as the customer prefers them and is coming to them, mm-hmm. that is what they can always bank on mm-hmm. right and i think um but um, you know for i i think different brands do it different ways there's what crowdfunding there's more of an inst- institutional funding method um but you're seeing a lot of these you know niche brands that are coming in with that right. <laughs> and so uh one that com- also comes to mind is linear the sort of uh the watch brand that also makes other types of accessories mm-hmm. they started off with an amazing kickstarter i think it was that you know made over a million dollars in a very short period of time um and so with that they're able to now you know pursue their manufacturing and whatnot right that's so take us back to your time at amazon what was your priority in terms of was it just recruiting luxury brands what type of luxury brands because obviously that's a broad term uh you know i'm sure there's you got gucci down to like a theory how who are you focusing on and what was your pitch so uh, my role within buying wasn't so much to bring them in. Uh-huh. Um, they started working with me and my team once they already decided they wanted to work with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I would say, um, we were that point of contact that they would use to understand and build a strategy for Amazon and then start executing it with us. Um, so it was it was structured very much as a partnership. Um, and we focused on various brands within the two categories that I worked in. We had a little over 155 or so brands. Um, and they ranged from, uh, I would say, smaller emerging brands that had, you know, sort of more of the niche aspect and then, you know, uh, some Gucci and Versace and a, a few of those in there. So it ranged quite a large, uh, I would say, various categories, price ranges within that luxury space. And one of the things, again, we saw that because the opportunity of the education gap the uh that disconnect was so consistent across everyone Mm -hmm. again that's where we decided i think there's a huge need for this Mm -hmm. and that's when you ventured out on your own Mm -hmm. so in terms of like the strat the amazon strategy that you were working with these fashion brands on is that deciding what to sell how to present it how much like control and say did the did the brands have in, in terms of not only what product went on the site, but what it, how it was presented, who it was next to, all that stuff that, that brands seem to worry about. So in terms of who it sits next to, that would depend on, uh, I would say, more of the curated merchandise experiences that you know were on the site at the time, which mm-hmm. get changed out frequently. Right. So um, that was, I would say, it's not, it's not a permanent thing, and it's not something where, you know, if you walk into a Nordstrom store or a more traditional department store, you know, where you're placed is so important. Mm-hmm. On Amazon and other, you know, pr- you know, other e-commerce sites, that's not as much the case because it's dynamic. Right. And, you know, where a product is sitting today is may not be worth sitting tomorrow depending on who's looking at it or purchasing it or how Mm. they get there and so because of that I would say that wasn't even though it would come up in conversations um, it's it's a very popular retail point to, to understand at least when it came to Amazon it wasn't something that we could wholly determine right there's no guarantee and is that scary to these brands 
I would say there are a lot of things that were scary (laughs) (laughs) um, for various brands and that might have been one of them but I would say the number one thing really was pricing Uh or lack thereof when you sell wholesale to Amazon right because there's no control over that right when you sell wholesale you um, you know and this is typical again in most retail partnerships but I think the difference though is that when you lose autonomy over pricing on Amazon that means something wholly different than you know when you sell to uh, again a brick and mortar store and you relinquish that autonomy to them. Mm -hmm. And tell me about your relationship with these uh, brand representatives, because we hear a lot that when brands are working with Amazon, it feels like there's no real person on the other side. It's very, uh, okay, we're just going to like put it out into the void and just see what comes out of it. Uh, That, that human connection wasn't lacking. Do you think it was a focus for Amazon to have that for these fashion brands that are just scared of of the whole thing (laughs) are you talking about the wholesale side or the marketplace side the whole the wholesale side the wholesale side i would say so when you are invited to sell to amazon Mm -hmm. you know you're uh within the portal called vendor central you're you're given a buyer like a point of contact someone you can talk to Mm -hmm. uh but that person typically has as i mentioned you know hundreds of other brands that are uh sort of beholden to that person and i think it really comes down to uh, how many hours do you have in a day and how how much time do you have to help everyone and um and that was fairly i mean even for me I, i it was a huge challenge to try and um remain as accountable as I wanted to be Mm -hmm. to the growth that I wanted to see for all the brands that we were working with. So, um, that was, that's one thing that I would say is, is definitely a difficulty when you're on the inside. Mm -hmm. Do you think more investment, at least when, when talking specifically about fashion, uh, which is a big focus for Amazon, obviously to build up, would more of, uh, investment in that, in that human side of it, do you think that would help get more brands on board? I'm not sure if it's, just that that would change how you know brands especially within soft lines would approach um the amazon wholesale relationship to Mm -hmm. be honest i think that it's a much larger conversation that is changing how brands are approaching platforms like amazon i think Mm -hmm. there is a larger emphasis on really owning the direct-to-consumer relationship and any wholesale relationship does not give you that and so i think because of that um that is ultimately the the turning point that's kind of causing brands to think okay we're for example i I would say the most established fashion brands have made the bulk of their of their name their their fame their revenue off these um you know retail partnerships wholesale right Mm -hmm. and yet now they're they're having to ask themselves okay that's not how consumers care to shop anymore and in fact it's actually to my advantage if I were the retailer and if I own that relationship so how do I do that and I think that's where um, you know they're looking at every platform differently including Amazon right absolutely because that customer relationship gives them feedback on their products and they can move uh, to market faster Uh, so what about the the data that that brands get back? What are they learning when they are selling on Amazon um, in terms of what's performing, what's what's not? How much is that visible to them? Again, I have to ask wholesale or marketplace because well, it let's is talk very about, different. Let's talk about both. Okay, um, I think that dynamic is interesting. Well, in wholesale, you get some information, um, but it's it's a, it's very much through the lens of you being a vendor wholesale to Amazon. So for example, mm-hmm. you'll see what purchase orders are being ordered, you know, on those POs, what items are being ordered and how much. Um, but you won't get a ton of the customer facing data. So you won't necessarily know where it's going or when things are happening, et cetera. So, you, you know, you're kind of 
um, relegated to just what you're seeing from your warehouse to what goes to Amazon on that end. Mm -hmm. And then on the vendor side? So yeah, on the, on the marketplace, marketplace side, side, yeah, on the marketplace side, you get a lot more data. I would say that there's a lot more of the customer facing information that you're receiving because, you know, especially if you're shipping directly to the customer, you have to know where it's going right. and you have to know who to send it to and all that good stuff. So uh, I would say that, you know, you have a lot more information as to what's being sold, uh, where it's going, as well as, you know, just how many eyeballs you're getting and right. how many people, customers are quote unquote walking in your store. Right. So you would think that in terms of if if you wanted to sell on Amazon, but maintain some of that customer relationship, just sell in the marketplace. But that's not the best. Why is that not the best option for these fashion brands? I would say historically, um, Vendor Central has been positioned as the better and sought after platform of the two. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, participation by invite only. And so that in and of itself ob obviously gives it this, um, you know, air of exclusivity and, and, and brands, I think, especially the established ones that were interested in working with Amazon, um, accepted that invitation. Uh, it felt very familiar and similar to how they run a lot of their other retail partnerships. Right. And so it, in many ways, it, it was designed to try and be as easy as possible for the brands to just assimilate and, and launch on a platform like Amazon. But mm -hmm. I think that what's evolved um, you know, over time is that ultimately with the way that people shop online, it really is advantageous for brands to own the D2C relationship. Right. Uh, yeah, it seems like if you are in the marketplace on Amazon, you might not, there's so much there. How do you even get seen? You're not getting that priority and you're not like the Amazon fashion portal, which kind of is at least the better option in terms of having that, that higher touch feeling that's for vendors only, right? Mm -hmm, correct. So you're not getting that same experience. Mm -hmm. But so if you're, if when you sell on Amazon, I think a lot of the concerns that come up too is, is Amazon just sort of looking at what's selling from my brands, compiling all of this data and then making its own brands. Is that something to that that brand should actually be afraid of? You're 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 the, I think the fourth person to ask me that in the last 24 hours. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that more and more of um, even just more retailers in general are really investing in private label. And I right. think what's interesting about Amazon is that they do have access to a lot of data. I think one thing that, and this is my opinion, um, but I would think that they, if they really wanted to understand a particular brand, whether or not it was working with Amazon, they would find ways to 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 learn more about it and mm. make sure that they had access to the brand. And so, I, I wouldn't, in my opinion, and maybe this is just a bit, you know, short sighted, but I would not let that fear stop me if I were a brand from making the most of of a platform like Amazon. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there, and yes, private label is definitely something to consider. But um, if you are looking at the platform for, you know, for example, how to control your brand information on that platform, how mm -hmm. you want customers to engage with your product when they're searching and understanding reviews and pricing about your uh, about your product. I think that is far more important than mm -hmm. the fear of perhaps uh, Amazon looking at it for a private label. Right. And wanting to steal it. Yeah. Because like you mentioned, department stores are have their own private labels and you have to mm -hmm. think they're at least mm -hmm. taking some inspiration. <laughs> I don't know how much data right. access they're using. Uh, so it, so now at Quantified, when you're working with clients, what are the main 
concerns you're hearing from them? You mentioned you've been hearing that question a lot. Uh, is is Amazon something that they ask about a lot, or what else is what comes up in conversation? Amazon is a, is a huge topic for sure. I think that a lot of brands are really just trying to, again, going back to the education component, really trying to make sure they understand the pros and cons of even the the seemingly simplest decisions because mm-hmm. there are perhaps long-term consequences that are not always spelled out. Mm-hmm. And so I think education is a huge part and that goes for everything in their business, when it, whether it's supply chain and inventory management to uh, sales growth and understanding projections or creating them um, to even promotion cadence. I think for a while, um, brands looked at the internet and the e-commerce space as as deals, right? Especially when flash sites were really on the on the rise. I right. think that there was this understanding that the that the internet was just for that. And mm-hmm. I think that's definitely changed quite a bit since mm-hmm. then. But I, I think that brands still have to figure out what is that sweet spot? When is, does it make sense to use e-commerce for, um, you know, moving soon to be liquidated inventory, right? Mm-hmm. And then when should we be using it and really pushing a full price uh, message? Mm-hmm. So with all of this on the table, how do you guide them to what to prioritize? I would say data is number one, Uh Um, really understanding, not only understanding what we've experienced the team collectively from our retail backgrounds. Um, You know, our team has people coming from, I would say, the more traditional uh, brick and mortar experiences at Tory Burch and Coach and Mark Jacobs to um, quite a few different e-commerce platforms. And I think utilizing all that information and best practices together is really interesting and really important. Mm -hmm. But also then just simply put, using the data to understand, okay, what are the trends we're seeing and then how do we help brands uh, use that to their advantage for planning purposes trends as in what kind of trends um you know everything from again how um, how accurate are our sales projections and forecasts to uh what we're seeing today um how much of a buffer do we need to build for manufacturing lead times for Q4, mm-hmm. um, as well as what kind of a, of a promotional schedule um, do we expect to see on the internet right. for like, let's say the Thanksgiving holiday season and so on and so forth. So I think it's uh, it's all aspects of how to run a business successfully online. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of um, how luxury brands are are able to to use this data to come to this own point of, of direct to consumer retail where, where it makes sense. Do you think that they have to be, where does vertical integration come in? And if they're owning their entire supply chains, is that the only way to do it? We just had um, an event in New York yesterday and it came up a few times, like these brands that are, have a really strong hold over their inventory management. They can respond on demand to customer orders, get that turned around really quickly. They own their entire manufacturing production system. How is that? like where you think retail is headed? For the most part, yeah. Unless there is another way to be that efficient without owning it, Mm -hmm. I would say that is the direction we're seeing. And I think it goes even a step further beyond your supply chain. It's it's very much supply chain slash logistics data online and offline have to be integrated across the board. And it is quite a bit of an overhaul for everyone, whether Mm -hmm. you're just starting out or you are established 
it is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. I would say for the established brands, it's very much a how do we restructure how we've been doing things for sometimes for decades, for sometimes over a hundred years, right. and do this in a way that allows us to continue growing and not take a huge step back per se. And then if you're emerging and just getting started out, I think there's a huge question as to how to be relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Like you might have the best plan in the world, but if customers don't know who you are and may not necessarily care to know who you are, that's mm -hmm. a that's going to be your biggest problem. Right. And when you are starting out as a direct-to-consumer brand that's uh, brand new and you don't have that boost from the retail partners, it seems like awareness and mm -hmm. acquisition is the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, so so in terms of Amazon, how what's what's the biggest problem? Why are they seemingly struggling to get fashion, its fashion business, off the ground? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think... Um, and this is again just you know my experience having spoken to several of these various brands but again I think that when brands think of Amazon they think they they there are a couple different reactions right uh -huh. I think one is wariness yeah. annoyance sometimes <laughs> fear um, and I think that because of that and, and again they all there's a lot of communication amongst each other and I think overall the lack of pricing control and oftentimes seen as lack of respect of the brand for the brand mm -hmm. uh really affects uh you know a brand's decision as to whether or not they want to work with a particular partner and um i think it, amazon's definitely gotten a bad rap when it comes to um partnering with certain brands and respecting pricing control um i mean ultimately they are who they are today because they've prioritized that consumer relationship and i right. think instead of and this is you know sort of the strategy that we've seen that's worked for brands so far is instead of seeing amazon as hey, you know, they're bad. This is a platform we should just avoid entirely. Mm -hmm. I think the way to look at it is say, okay, this is a very important brand for my customers all over the world. Let's be where they are and find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a matter of understanding if if that can happen and if so, how. Right. In, in terms of, is, does that come down to what, like, how do you work with Amazon without maybe going all in or getting crushed by by the price algorithms? I think it really means considering the marketplace platform mm -hmm. where, again, as a brand, you have control over pricing. You mm -hmm. can control what you put out there. You can control how much inventory you allocate. You can also control how your brand is messaged on the platform. I right. think that is probably the better of the two ways to sell on Amazon today if you're just getting started out. What if and what if you're not getting started? Out, oh, you mean getting started out on, in terms on of selling on Amazon, on right? Amazon, yes. uh, it's almost like brands need to band together and be like marketplace, like not <laughs> <laughs> don't partner with them. Probably not going to happen though. Um, so, do you think that it's going to the I think like the tide is just going to push in this direction regardless of of what brands do? Is it one of those things where we always hear if Amazon puts its mind to it, it's going to happen? puts its mind to to fashion what? luxury fashion so. oh that's a great question I, I would i would love to see it happen because i think that there are so many customers who would love to utilize the convenience of amazon prime right. specifically to get everything they want right and we're seeing that more and more, more so now than ever where customers are purchasing um you know cov long long coveted items and high-end items from the platform and mm -hmm. it's becoming a place where for example you may go to the department store or, or a brick and mortar store to get a really nice um you know a uh, pair of pants for example a nice pair of tailored pants and after you get that pair and you realize okay 
I know my size. I want the same exact pant, but I need it tomorrow and I want it in a different color. Right. That's where being on a place like Amazon is extremely helpful because you're not losing that customer. You're not forcing them to either, um, you know, go back to the store or go to your online website, which if you offer free one day shipping, that'd be great. Right. But there is a platform that kind of does that already. And so yeah. it just it's just a matter of, in my opinion, be where your customer is and really focus on that. And if there is a way to control and protect your brand, that's I think that is a really great sweet spot and that's where as a company Quantify really works to empower brands to be able to make those decisions and help them execute that Mm -hmm. and and maintain that relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so why doesn't shopping for fashion on Amazon why doesn't it feel luxurious why isn't there that high touch customer experience yet I don't think that's off the table for the future I think that there are a lot of aspects that are, I think, will continue to evolve, especially when it comes to the customer delivery experience. I think that the convenience factor is really number one and prioritized yeah. for a platform like Amazon, which makes sense because you can get certain things in a very convenient, seamless way. You can, you can just literally one click and then there you go, you have it and it's on your way to you. You get it in a very fast period of time. When it comes to now the quality of the experience, perhaps, like is, is someone wearing a tux and you know presenting a beautifully polished box at your door i I mean i don't know if that's you know in the cards for the future but i wouldn't be surprised if there were segmented experiences in the future right still presenting the convenience but now perhaps differentiating levels of quality of that delivery service but i will say that in terms of the site experience most customers come to amazon with the intent to search for what they're looking for, right? They're not mm. really there to browse and just mm. look around. They're there to say, oh, you know, I'm here for a particular type of shirt. Let me see what's out there. And they're searching. And because of that, that doesn't, when you know that that's how most customers are looking, um, it doesn't warrant necessarily building the same kinds of shops and landing pages that perhaps other e-com sites have. Interesting. Um, so we're almost out of time, but if you were to give a, a fashion brand one piece of advice for selling on Amazon, what would be like the number one thing that you would tell them? Don't ignore it. <laughs> um, even if you're not trying to make Amazon your number one channel for revenue, 70%, 74% actually of Americans start their online shopping experience on Amazon today to just understand reviews, pricing, what to expect of the brand, et cetera. And with that number alone, it, it's a huge, um, I would say there's a huge opportunity lost if you're not taking advantage of how your brand appears on the site itself. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, I would say don't ignore it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Elaine, for coming in. Uh, Thanks for having me. Very enlightening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have.